The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning, everyone. So today, um, it's been a couple weeks because I was teaching that retreat, but I wanted to continue, return to the topic that we've been exploring in this class and actually, which I was so um, kind of involved in when I went into the retreat, it kind of became the theme of the retreat, the, the refrain of the Satipatthana Sutta is what we've been exploring and it wove right into the retreat, which was really lovely for me. Um, and um, I'll just kind of step back for a moment, though, and just speak about, um, you know, the kind of the larger context a little bit. Um, the, the, Satipat or the, the Satipatthana Sutta is one of the foundational teachings on what the Buddha meant by wise mindfulness by establishing wise mindfulness, wise mindfulness being an aspect of the Eightfold Path. And so that the Eightfold Path is the larger context of what uh, the talks um, we've been exploring at this time. Um, I think, yeah, it's been, it's been going on for like 18 months or something, exploring the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And I've collected those actually, um, uh, on Audio Dharma, you know, if you go to Audio Dharma, the website Audio Dharma, I'm not sure how you'd find it on the um, the app, but uh, if you go to the website, there's a, a a navigation bar on the left-hand side of the page where there's um, a bunch of different topics, and one of them is the Four Noble Truths. If you click on that, you'll find a series of collections of talks, some by me, some by Gil, um, about the Four Noble Truths, and I've been kind of including this series of talks in that, uh, in that link. So, um, so they're collected there if you're, if you're interested in kind of seeing <laughs> the flow of these, this topic. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the wise mindfulness and the instructions that the Buddha offered, you know, what, 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 what my wise mindfulness means, it, it comes into the, um, in the Eightfold Path, it's kind of a part of the collection or the aspect of the Eightfold Path known as the Samadhi section or the concentration section. And that includes wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. Those three kind of working together to support the mind to stabilize into the present moment to be able to see how our minds do what they do. And, in, and primarily how our minds participate in the construction of the suffering. The suffering that happens internally and the suffering that um, actually ripples out and ripples into us. You know, the suffering uh, we kind of offer each other when we are reactive, when we um, get frustrated or confused or angry that doesn't just stay internal, it kind of ripples out. And likewise, when others become that way, we, we, we meet it, we take it in. And so meeting that, um, the first noble truth points us to the kind of the beginning of this whole thing unfolds by understanding 
suffering. The first noble truth there is suffering, and suffering should be understood, not intellectually so much, but through this Eightfold Path. What does it mean to understand suffering through the tools offered in the Eightfold Path? Through wise view, wise understanding, ethical conduct, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, and through these, these tools of wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And so wise mindfulness is kind of the, we could think of it almost like the, the scalpel or something. It's the tool that helps us to discern what's there in our experience and also helps us to discern what aspects of what's going on contribute to the stress, the suffering in our, in our own experience and rippling out from us. And what, um, what aspects of our experience kind of move us more in the direction of ease and peace, um, wisdom, compassion. I was reflecting, I've been reflecting a lot about those words, ease and peace. And I think, and they're beautiful words, and they do express, I think, what happens in our minds as the mind kind of begins to attune and resonate with um, experience as it's happening and not, um, um, not buying into the habits and patterns, but kind of opening to them. There's a way in which we can meet the suffering without having reactivity to the suffering and there's a kind of a, a kind of an opening of the container the, the heart can rest in that place where it is not angry or confused or hating or trying to hold on to what's happening and yet the and so there's a sense of okayness you know the heart kind of can rest there with an okayness but what we usually think of when we hear the words ease, peace, okayness is, yeah, no, I don't have to do anything. You know, nothing needs to change. Nothing needs to happen. But the okayness, the ease, the peace that comes with this kind of, of letting go, the letting go of greed, aversion, and delusion, that kind of ease and peace is not um, necessarily one of non-action. Because the, the falling away of greed, aversion, and delusion is a falling away of those energies which tend to motivate the mind to act. And those, those energies kind of have so conditioned us to think these are, the, these are the energies that make us act. These are the only things that make us act. Why would I do anything if I didn't want to do it? Or why would I do anything if I didn't feel like I need to take care of something? But what happens is those fall away is that there's a whole host of other qualities, compassion and wisdom and generosity and even patience, even equanimity. Those qualities have um, motivation to them. They want to act in the world in their own ways. And so the, you know, the ease and the peace that result from this practice through the understanding of suffering bringing wise mindfulness, that discernment of the what's helpful, what's not helpful, our mind begins to tease those apart and gravitates more to those qualities that are helpful, letting go of those qualities that are not helpful. And the qualities that are helpful have their own movement towards action 
And there's many different expressions of that. The expressions might be um, going out into the world and um, protesting or working in a in a, um, a homeless shelter or running for office or whatever, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different actions that might result from that falling away and the movement to want to, um, basically the movement I think that happens is the, the wish to alleviate suffering connected with compassion, wisdom and compassion together, the wish to alleviate suffering and many expressions of that. And some of those expressions do look more like um, settling back into uh, observing and understanding and witnessing. Others are more active. And so I just wanted to say that because sometimes the language, um, the habitual language that we use kind of makes us think that if I follow this path, then you know I'm just going to wind up not being engaged. And I don't think that that is what this means. So starting with that, because partly the, the piece I'm pointing to today, um, you know, been exploring the refrain in the Satipatthana Sutta, which to me, the, the refrain is kind of a piece that, so the Satipatthana Sutta has sections that indicate what kinds of experiences you know, what we should be noticing. And it's essentially the entirety of our experience, sensations in the body, the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, things arising in the mind, right there, that covers everything. <laughs> um, and then some particular perspectives on observing that. So there's what we notice, body, feelings, mind states. And then there's how we notice them. And I think the refrain kind of really kind of points to that piece. So it's, and the, the how we observe experience is woven through the Satipatthana Sutta, just in the very definition of what it means to be mindful. The Buddha says one abides, contemplating or observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having set aside greed and distress for the world. So that's, that also includes, you know, so you're observing the body, it includes the that that's what we're observing. And that's repeated for each of the other four foundations, observing feelings as feelings, mind states as mind states, experience as experience. And, uh, and it also includes not only that, but it has a little bit of the how we observe. We observe, uh, we abide, abiding kind of creates a sense of relaxation, stepping back, um, ardent, kind of connected, engaged fully aware, that's a whole piece to explore in and of itself, but um, really connecting to what's here. I think that piece points to that. And also, um, you know, the body as a body, the body in and of itself, just experience of body as experience of body. And so the, the definition section of the Satipatthana Sutta, where it just kind of succinctly describes what wise mindfulness is in four sentences, um, includes both the what and the how. But I think the refrain really drives it home, the how side. How should we abide observing? And I'll read, I'll read this. Um, again, I've been reading it each time talking about the refrain. 
Today I'm going to read Analia's version. In this way, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally or abides contemplating the body externally or abides contemplating the body both internally and externally. One abides contemplating the nature of arising in the body or abides contemplating the nature of passing away in the body or abides contemplating the nature of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So to me, this refrain points to both the understandings, the insights that come as we practice, the um, impermanent nature of experience, the bare way that we can meet experience, and the independence of mind that doesn't cling. But it also points, especially in these first three sentences, abiding, contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally, abiding, contemplating, arising, and passing essentially the impermanent nature of experience. Both of those offer a lens. Whatever's arising, we can know it as internal or external experience. And the external, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, exploring the experience of others through how we, uh, we observe it. Um, so, the, you know, noticing that the external experience, it was like, okay, we notice for ourselves, okay, there's, there's frustration arising internally. We might be able to recognize, oh, there's frustration arising externally. In another being, there is frustration arising. And so we can, we can kind of orient or attune our awareness to that perspective, that internal and external perspective. That's not the insight side of it, but it kind of points in a direction. This section kind of says, to me, this kind of section says, attend to experience through these lenses and it will support you to understand suffering in a new way. And then the, um, the impermanent nature of experience. Noticing the arising and the passing of experience. That also supports, we can kind of attune to that and be curious about noticing experience as arising and passing. And that also begins to help to support the mind to understand how suffering occurs in a new way. In particular, we start to see that everything arises and passes and the movement to try to hold on to stop that flow, um, to kind of say, okay, I like the way it is right now. Let's leave it here. You know, it's, a, it's an exercise in, in suffering. Um, so that, that that exploration also begins to point out on how the suffering comes about. And we begin to really notice the impermanent nature of experience. This third one is the one I wanted to speak to more today. Um, mindfulness there is a body or there are feelings, there are mind states. Experience arises, dhammas arise. Mindfulness that there is a body is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. So this too is a little bit of a perspective um, 
and a pointing. So there's a, a couple pointings here in this in this sentence. One, so um, mindfulness is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. So two pieces really there is the the continuity of mindfulness, which to me is is kind of saying the same thing as establishing the mindfulness. When mindfulness is established, it has this quality of um, kind of lasting over time. So there's the continuity side of it. So that's an encouragement for us. The insights will happen as we begin to have more continuity of mindfulness. And then there's the, um, the what that continuous mindfulness knows, bare knowledge. And that's, you know, not exactly described, but I've got some, you know, thoughts about what it evokes for me, and I'll, I'll share some of that. So um, this will be pretty brief right now. Um, if the, I, I want to try to summarize these two pieces in about 10 minutes, so there's some time for conversation. Um, but, you know, this could be unpacked into two or three talks. <laughs> but let's just start here, and then we'll see if it feels like... Um, you know, it makes sense to unpack a piece of this next, next time. Um, so the continuity piece, um, you know, the, that piece of establishing mindfulness, it's, it's, um, it feels like, and I think many of you have the experience of when the mindfulness kind of settles in, when we have that place where um, there's more um, a sense of the mindfulness being carried through moment after moment, that is when the, um, the mind, the, the, the kind of the capacity of the mindfulness and the power of the mindfulness starts to show up. That we can start to see what's happening moment to moment, we start to be able to see the conditioned nature of experience and how, you know, so the continuity of mindfulness really is what begins to help the mind discern those two pieces I talked about before. The what is it that creates the stress and suffering internally? What is it that supports the, the, the mind moving in the direction of stress and suffering? And what is it that supports the mind letting go of that, moving towards ease and peace? And so the, the continuity allows the mind to be able to see that, partly through being able to see the conditioned nature of experience, how when, for example, when um, anger arises, for instance, a reactive mind state arises, with continuous mindfulness, we see, one of the first things we see is how that conditions reactivity, you know, how that conditions like desire to react externally, desire to speak certain things, how that conditions feelings in the body, how it conditions attention and tightness, how it actually conditions the experience of pain here. So we begin to see with the, the more continuous mindfulness, how reactivity generates suffering right here and right now. And that seeing then helps the mind to recognize hmm, this way, this, this movement. And, and we also begin to see the, the kind of assumptions that were built into that, um, that reactivity. 
and for me, the kind of shock of seeing at one point, you know, wow, this arising of anger, I thought this was going to make the other person miserable, but what it's doing is making me miserable. You know, the, the way in which the mind habitually orients around reactive emotions is to orient on the, what we expect or what that reactivity expects to be the result of that. And typically it's like, you know, it's somewhere in the future acting on that reactive emotion. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be safe and, and everything's going to be fine, but we're not noticing what's happening here and now. And so the continuity of mindfulness joined together with the interest in noticing experience as experience. So this is anger arising. What is the experience of anger arising? This is the, how the body is. What is the experience of the body with this anger arising? So noticing that, so the perspective of mindfulness, uh, of that kind of um, um, orientation towards being curious about experience as experience helps our mind to begin to discern that reactive emotions, reactive states, create suffering internally and actually perpetuate it externally. And that other uh, non-reactive states like compassion, kindness, uh, wisdom, equanimity have a whole different quality and a whole different direction to them. And so the, the continuity of mindfulness, and that can be experienced in a couple different ways. Essentially what, what, what the continuity of mindfulness is, is a form of concentration. Concentration we often think about as attending just to one thing, stabilizing the mind just on the breath, for example. Um, but there's another definition of concentration, and that is um, the concentration of, of awareness, so the moment-to-moment -moment stability of mindfulness that um, can meet whatever's arising moment-to-moment. -moment. And so they can play together the concentration and the um, and the um, the moment to moment, the focused concentration and the moment to moment concentration. I just made a note that it might be useful to do a talk on concentration next time, <laughs> you know, to just kind of unpack that piece a little bit. Um, um, that. They play together, you know, the, that sometimes we can start with a focused concentration and that can then um, create the conditions that we can then start to see the moment-to-moment -moment unfolding of conditioning. But it is within this area of looking at experience unfolding moment-to-moment, -moment, the moment-to-moment -moment concentration, the, the commentaries point to that moment-to-moment -moment concentration being where the understanding and the insights arise. And I think that's because we do start to see the conditioned nature of experience. In the, in the one-pointed concentration, the full one-pointed concentration, where we really stabilize the mind on just one thing, that moves to more and more stillness. And, you know, kind of an, a, a, a stability of mind on that one thing. And in the deeper states of concentration, there's not a lot of experience of things coming and going. There's not a lot of that kind of uh, awareness of impermanence or awareness of conditionality right in the state. There is 
the possibility of seeing the conditionality as we go in, as we come out of the state. And, and the commentaries actually point to that, you know, that going in and coming out of the um, focused concentration as being moment to moment concentration. You know, that, 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 uh, that, that entry in, we are seeing how the state is constructed or we can see how the state is constructed. And so there is the possibility for wisdom and understanding to arise in the going in and the coming out of the deeper states of concentration. Those states, those deeper states are not necessary for the wisdom to arise. And the uh, focused concentration is also not necessary for moment-to-moment concentration to be established. So the, there's, there's, there can be you know, different ways into that stability of mind that can start to see the impermanent nature of experience, the conditioned nature of experience. So the continuity of mindfulness is kind of where the power of um, um, the power of the uh, mindfulness starts to reveal itself. And I'll just offer one other little piece here. Um, I made another note about to, to bring in uh, another time is, you know, when I talk about continuity, that, that description of, okay, being continuously mindful over time, that often creates the idea of, okay, it's got to be really, like, I got to be able to be mindful all day long, or, you know, I need to be able to be mindful for at least an hour at a time in order for, you know, this mindfulness to produce those results. What I've seen in my own experience is the intention towards cultivating the continuity of mindfulness seems to produce, produce what I call bursts of continuity, um, so the intention to keep trying. And you'll notice that the mindfulness goes away and it comes back and it goes away and it comes back. And so there's no need to feel like, oh, okay, I have to start completely over. I lost the continuity. Got to start over to get that one hour of continuity or whatever. Um, you know, the, 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 the kind of that intention to create that momentum of, of continuity of mindfulness seems to create these moments, like when mindfulness re-arises, for instance, a little what I call a burst of continuity. For just like three or four seconds, uh, the mindfulness can be very strong. And in my own experience, I have witnessed in that re-arising of mindfulness for those few seconds, a very deep penetrating seeing into something about how suffering is created and the mind releasing it. So that, I mean, right coming out of the mind having wandered, there can be a very powerful arising of mindfulness if we're not judging ourselves for the fact that the mindfulness was lost. So I just wanted to put that in there that to to kind of reframe what you're thinking about potentially by the word continuity of mindfulness. It's important to, to have that intention to cultivate that continuity, but be available for those moments, those bursts of continuity. So that's kind of the concentration or the continuity side. And then the bare knowledge side. Um, to me, what this evokes is kind of pointing back to that um, 
phrase in the definition section, which wasn't in Analia's translation, but is in Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation, um, which I'll, I'll, I'll read again now. Um, one abides observing the body as a body. The body as a body. That to me is pointing to what the bare knowledge is when it says mindfulness that there is a body is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. Bare knowledge evokes the kind of the, um, the more common phrase bare attention or um, um, Shoot, what's Krishnamurti's uh, phrase? Um, it's escaping me in the moment. Um, but that kind of bare attention, that, that kind of um, just like knowing experience as experience in the present moment. Bare knowledge understands this is the arising of an experience. This is the passing away of an experience. And so it, it kind of points to the um, the impermanent nature of experience, but also just from this perspective. This is bodily experience arising. These are feelings arising. This is thought, sensation arising. It evokes for me the, um, um, the famous teaching that the Buddha gave to Bahia. He instructed Bahia to pay attention to experience in a very simple way. He said, in the scene is only the scene. This is how you should train yourself. In the scene is only the scene, and the heard is only the heard, in the sensed is only the sensed, and the cognized is only the cognized. That is how you should train yourself. So essentially, when seeing arises, understanding that this is seeing arising. Now, when seeing arises, it comes with a lot of other stuff. You know, we it comes with with um, um, Perceiving, recognizing what is seen. It comes with thoughts about what is seen. This teaching to me doesn't say stop doing those perceptions and stop doing those thoughts, but it includes those in the section of in the cognized is only the cognized. To begin to understand these, the processes of our life, the seeing, the hearing, the, the sensing, the um, the mental activities that are connected with those to see them as processes. So there's seeing that happens. And then immediately there's a perception of what that is and there's thoughts about it and, and there's ideas about it and beliefs about it. And so the seeing is the seeing and all of those perceptions and thoughts and ideas, those are things arising in the mind. Those are cognizings arising in the cognized is only the cognized. So to understand experience in this way is to not say, okay, they're seeing and that's all it is. But I take this to be kind of an encouragement to, um, to recognize, okay, so if I train myself in the scene is only the scene, what's going to happen is that I start noticing that there's a lot of other stuff going on around the seeing. I'm going to start noticing the thoughts, the ideas, the beliefs, the views. And then this teaching then encourages me to notice those as those too are just arisings. Those are um, activities of mind. So the, um, 
that teaching is kind of pointing to what I understand in a way to, to what he means by this bare knowledge. Mindfulness is established. Mindfulness, there is a body is established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. So that's a really brief um, summary of the Bihiya Sutta. Um, but what, one other piece I'll point out about that particular teaching is that the Buddha follows that training piece. This is how you train yourself. And the seen is only the seen, and the heard is only the heard, and the sensed is only the sensed, and the cognized is only the cognized. So that's the training. That's the encouragement. He's not expecting it to be perfect. It's like, okay, you start to see where the, those things get tangled up, where we assume that the beliefs that about what we're seeing are somehow reality as opposed to a construction of our own minds. So we start to see that and we start to recognize, oh, that belief is just a belief arising in the mind. So the Buddha goes on and says, when for you in the seen is only the seen and the heard is only the heard and the sensed is only the sensed and the cognized is only cognized, there is no you in terms of that experience. And so it's, it's kind of a pointing to the understanding of not-self arising as a consequence of this bare attention, of this recognition of what's arising. What's happening here is they're seeing arising and hearing arising and constructs in the mind arising. This is all an internal construction interpreted in a particular way and taken to be a certain thing, that that exploration begins to point out to, uh, to our, um, our system that what we took to be I, me, mine is just another part of that whole unfolding process. And so the Buddha points out that the training is really simple. Just train to see, explore this experience in this simple way. And from there, the understandings of impermanent, unreliable experience as not me, not mine, not who I am, will result. So the understandings, the wisdom, is not what we do. It's what is revealed as a result of the perspective of wise mindfulness that's infused by the, infused by the um, kind of the way in which the Buddha is encouraging us to be mindful in the Satipatthana Sutta and in the refrain. I'm going to say the last sentence of the refrain here. And again, to me, this is pointing to kind of in the Bahiya Sutta where he kind of separates the two of here's what, how to train yourself. And here's the effect of that, you know, the understanding of not self. I see the last sentence of this refrain and one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world as also a result of the prior um, exploration of experience from the perspective offered in the, in the refrain. Off, uh, observing experience internally and externally, observing it as impermanent with bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. One can 
find that abiding or not find it's revealed i'd say the the that abiding independent not clinging and that's the essentially the result of the practice and the buddha revisits that at the end of the satipatthana sutta so um not going to say too much more about that part now but um um, probably revisit that much later so um cut the recording